Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Uh, ask honest questions and uh, so uh, no matter who you are and where you come from tonight I'm glad you're here and uh, what we do in RUF as many of you know is we look at the Bible each week we look at a different passage and uh, because we believe that the Bible is God's word and so it's a word from God to us uh, revealing himself and uh, revealing to us who we are and about his world and uh, this semester we're going through this series on the book of Philippians that I'm calling Joy in a World Gone Flat. And it's this letter that uh, St. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi in Greece. And uh, he's writing it from prison in Rome. So he's in prison in Rome, imprisoned there. And uh, he writes about joy. And it's amazing because he has this joy despite uh, all that has come to pass in his life, all, a lot of which has been really hard. And tonight... So we're kind of like systematically just moving through this letter, reading it piece by piece. And we're coming to a part tonight that most people, I think, would just skip over. And it's, it's one of those parts where Paul just gives like little details about like what all is going on. And uh, he mentions a couple people in this passage. And uh, we at RUF believe that the Bible is always worth looking at and that all of the Bible has value. And so tonight is kind of like a practice in that. It's like, let's look at this passage that you might just skim over and try to ignore that and see what God has for us uh, as we look at it. So uh, let me read it for us. It's Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Uh, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Okay, a lot there. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to this word, we pray that you would guide us. Uh, We pray that you would make sense of it to us and apply it to our hearts. We pray that uh, no matter who we are and where we come from tonight and this day, the kind of day or week we've been having, that you would meet us there and encourage us, challenge us, and make us different. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I have two little kids, Margot, who is four and a half, and Asher, who's about to be two. And what that means for me, one of the many things that means for me is that I've seen the movie Finding Nemo like six times this year already. And you guys know Finding Nemo? You watched that growing up? Great movie, great story. Uh, the gist of it is that Nemo, the small the clownfish, uh, gets lost. He gets scooped up by a scuba diver and his dad is, his mom is not there anymore, so it's just his dad and his dad, Marlin, the adult clownfish, goes on this journey to find Nemo. And it's because there's a, this uh, set of goggles left by the scuba diver that has the address in Sydney, Australia, where Nemo is. And so Nemo gets captured by this scuba diver and brought to Australia. And it's, the scuba diver is a dentist in Sydney, Australia, with a fish tank in his office. And Nemo gets put in there. And meanwhile, Marlin is on this mission to find him. And he meets up with Dory, who's voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, who's like hilarious. And, um, and, and meanwhile, Nemo's like making friends with these fish in the tank in the dentist's office. And about halfway through the movie, Nemo is just completely losing hope of ever getting out of there until there's this moment so kind of the way they're able to relay information from the ocean to the fish tank is that there's this pelican named Nigel who flies up to the dentist's office window every now and then and kind of like says what's going on to the fish. And Nigel shows up and he's speaking to Nemo and he says, your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. He's traveled hundreds of miles He's been battling sharks and jellyfish. And he just keeps on going, saying all these things that Marlon, the dad, has done. And while he's going into all that detail, Nemo's eyes are just getting wider and wider. And he's getting so excited that he, like, gets the rock and throws it in the filter of the fish tank, which is, like, the beginning of this escape plan. And a bunch of other stuff happens, but he eventually escapes, and he finds Dory first. And finally, he reunites with his dad right as a fisherman drops a huge net into the ocean, catching Dory in a school of fish. So this is like the climactic, you know how in Pixar movies, like they just keep on adding like more things. And this is that moment where like, you think it's over and then this horrible thing happens, Dory gets caught. And to Marlin, the dad's great shock, Nemo goes into the net. He's been lost for so long, and he goes straight back into the net to rescue Dory and all the other fish. And it's this way of showing that when we're pursued in love, it changes us. And specifically, Nemo has been changed by the fact that his dad has pursued him in love, and he becomes a person, even though he just got rescued, that goes straight back into the net to pursue someone else in love. And as we've been looking through Philippians, we've been looking at this gospel that Paul is unfolding to the Philippians, and what we've seen is that it's about pursuit. It's this message that God has not given up on sinners, no matter what they've done. It's this message that God comes and pursues people who have turned away from him, and he brings them back. Uh, this week, I didn't tell Hannah I was going to mention her. Hannah and I were talking 
just kind of, we meet every week and we were talking offhandedly, I don't know even how we got on this topic, but on the idea of ghosting. You guys know what ghosting is? I only heard what ghosting was like three years ago. Like I think it's a pretty new, I think texting has made ghosting a thing because like it's so easy to get a text from someone and be like all, respond to that later and then you forget or you kind of just like I don't know what to say and so you say nothing and then what happens when you see that person face to face you're like oh crap I haven't texted them back yet and then what that what it does is it drives you further apart right it makes you like and what we were talking about is like the longer we I think we've all been in, probably been on both sides of this where like the longer it goes that you've been ghosting someone or someone has ghosted you the harder it is to come back because it just gets worse and worse the more the time goes on. Uh, It becomes harder and harder to come back and it really becomes about the person who's been ghosted being like, hey, it's okay. Like, you need to come back into this relationship. And when we talk about knowing God and being a Christian, a lot of people talk about the idea, like they say like, oh, so-and-so found God. And the reality is that God isn't hard to find. We typically just don't want to find God. Uh, We typically have ghosted God in some form or fashion. And so the reason God is hard to find is because we don't want to, because the shame feels too great. The shame of the one who made me in love, I've turned on. And I haven't acknowledged, I've been living like he doesn't exist. And it becomes harder and harder to come back. But the gospel, the good news that Jesus and Paul have come to proclaim is that all of history is about God pursuing his people and bringing them back. Uh, People who couldn't come back on their own. Uh, God came down and he took their shame away. Uh, He died in their place. And in this passage, we have a couple more examples of what happens when your life is transformed by the gospel. Uh, these two men that are mentioned, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And just to give you the context of who these guys are, so Timothy is Paul's, like, Paul's mentoring Timothy. So he's like Paul's assistant. Uh, he became a Christian and then like joined Paul on his journeys. And so like Timothy would have helped Paul start this church in Philippi in Greece. And at this point, uh, Timothy is with Paul in Rome where Paul is imprisoned. And Epaphroditus is this guy from Philippi that these Christians have sent with like a care package for Paul. So they knew Paul was in need. He's in prison. They need help. So they sent, we don't know what, money, supplies, uh, kind of like, you know, from Greece to Rome uh, to help Paul. And uh, it says that Epaphroditus got really sick somehow along the way. So that's kind of the gist of who these guys are. And what they show us is, that pursuit is about humble love and costly sacrifice. And we see humble love in this description of Timothy. Uh, Look again at the first little chunk there. It says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Um, What's Paul highlighting there about Timothy? He's genuinely concerned about their welfare. Uh, they all, he says, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but Timothy is different. Now, what's Paul saying there? This is kind of, you know, 
the kind of love he's talking about is rare, right? It's like it, it's possible to seem like a fine human being, and most people do, but really just be serving yourself. He's kind of saying, like, that's how most people are. Timothy's different, though. And he's, what, 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 what is it that he says stops us from actually loving the people around us? He says it's our own interests. Uh, so to really love in the way that God calls us to love is to set aside our own interests. So I want, you to, I want us to think about that for a minute. What are our own interests? And specifically, I think that means what are you actually living for? So I hang out on this campus all the time. I hear a lot of conversations that students have in kind of like a creepy way. I know, but it's just kind of like I'm on campus a lot and I sit in places that are public a lot and I hear a lot of conversations. And something I've heard a lot at UConn is people talking about this idea of being set. And they say it in this way, like, I've heard it said like this, like, oh, uh, the place she interned at last summer offered her a job, so she's set. As if, like, nothing could ever go wrong in her life again if because of that, you know. But we say, like, oh, so-and-so, they got an internship, they're set. Uh, you know, they have a 3.7 GPA, so they're set. And the prevailing notion is that, like, if, if you're not set, if you're not one of these people who feels set, then it's acceptable to turn in on yourself and focus only on yourself. It's acceptable to only make time for people that will benefit you in some way. Uh, it's acceptable to be self-centered if you're not yet set. I want us to consider who Timothy is. So Timothy has no home currently. He just travels with Paul. He doesn't make any money, so the only support he has is from like people who give him things. He has no stability, etc. But Paul is saying he's genuinely concerned about these other people, these Christians in Greece. And he wants to go help them. Uh, I want where did Timothy get that idea, do you think? Of being genuinely interested in others. He got it from Jesus himself. Uh, because verse 21 actually says, if you follow that, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. What that's saying is, Jesus' interests are us. What God cares about is people. And so Timothy got that from Jesus himself. Uh, has anybody heard, I read an article recently... I wonder if anybody's heard of Lin Wang. Anybody heard of Lin Wang? Lin Wang is a, a cat litter chemist. So chemist that does stuff with cat litter. And it's a story of, so Lin Wang one time was on a business trip. Uh, he's a Chinese immigrant, uh, somewhat successful chemist, I guess. And he was on a business trip and he was in the hotel bar in Sacramento at this hotel he was staying at, and he saw Charles Barkley. You guys know who Charles Barkley is? Uh, former NBA. He's a Hall of Famer, TV personality, in commercials, really wealthy investor now. He's like six foot ten and huge, so like you wouldn't miss him. And so Lin Wang saw him and like recognized who he was and uh, went over and asked for a picture with him. And they ended up talking... And they ended up eating dinner together. And at the end of it, Charles Barkley gave him his phone number. He wrote it down. He said, hey, like I have houses in Atlanta, New York City, and Phoenix. So if you're ever in any of those places, you call me and like we'll hang out. 
And the article I read was written by Lin Wang's daughter. And she said that, like, so for, like, a few years, she would always hear her dad talking about how he was friends with Charles Barkley. And she'd be like, yeah, right. Like, you're not friends with Charles Barkley. I know you're not friends. Until her dad passed away. And they have a funeral for her dad. And in walks Charles Barkley, this like 6'10 famous basketball player. And everyone's like, what the heck? And not only that, but Charles Barkley like knows everything about her because he's actually invested in her dad. And like her dad has talked about her a ton. Okay. The love of Jesus for us is a little like that. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, it's kind of hard to believe. Like, why would he, who is God, care about us? What do we have to offer him? And Paul is saying he does care about us. Like, what are you currently worried about? I promise you that he knows. Jesus knows and he cares. Uh, What are you hoping for? I promise you he knows and he cares and he's involved in your life. Uh, and if you know yourself, you know it's not because we like, do such a great job of living for him, right? In spite of all the ways we've made our lives about ourselves, Jesus still lives for us. And so if you know that, you can become a little more like Timothy. You can make your life about people around you and actually caring, and you can humbly love. So that's Timothy and humble love. But I want to turn now and think about Epaphroditus and sacrifice. Uh, In verse 30, it says, Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ. He was risking his life. And, you know, the background on Epaphroditus is that uh, he was part of this church that Paul started in Greece. And Paul left. And then they sent him to go care for Paul. And we don't know exactly what happened, right? Like, it was a dangerous time to travel. Like, you traveled by boat. Uh, who, knew what, who knows what diseases uh, were around at that time? But the point kind of is that love, to love someone, there's a cost. Love requires sacrifice. If you stop loving someone when it gets hard, it means you never love them in the first place. Uh, we were talking about this in Guy's Bible study uh, yesterday, actually, this idea of like how there's a cost to love. And I brought up this point that I kind of got ridiculed for a little bit, but I'm still going to share it with you guys, is that one of the, you know, I'm married and I have kids now. And one thing, there's many things that are wonderful about marriage and having kids, but one thing that's great about marriage and then having kids is that it forces you to love people. Like, you get locked in. You know, it's really easy to love someone that you go on dates with and have, like, lots of fun times with. But it's a step up to love someone forever that's always going to, you know, you're bound to them forever. And so, like, you go through good times and bad times and all kinds of stuff happens and it's this challenge, but you're locked in. And so you learn to love. And it's actually, it's not romantic, but it's the best love there is. Like when you work through stuff and you, it actually grows your love, like your affection for that person 
to love them in costly ways. And then you have, you know, like we had kids and I thought I was learning about like the cost of love and, you know, we were like learning how it's, you know, love has its challenges and then we have kids and it's like this whole other thing because like someone cries in my house like every half hour now. Like, and you guys know how crazy I am about my kids if you've ever been around me and my kids. But there's a cost to loving them. I do it willingly but it is costly. You know, and I thought I wasn't selfish until I, until I got married. And then I realized, oh, man, I'm selfish. And then I was like, okay, I'm not that selfish anymore. And then I had kids, and I was like, oh, man. And I learned, it's forcing me to learn to love. And it's actually great. Like, it's so hard, but it's also the best. Like, being married to Maggie and having my kids is also the best. I want you to think about your relationships, friendships, acquaintances, roommates, people you know, people you see, and ask yourself the question, are any of them costing you anything? Are they costing you anything? Is there anyone you're intentionally pursuing uh, because they need to know about the love of God found in Christ? And what are, I want to say, what are the costs, you know, like, we're not probably going to die like Epaphroditus, you know, be on the verge of death like Epaphroditus is, but what are the costs? We bear the cost of time. It costs time to love someone well, a commodity that many of us feel like we don't have a lot of. Uh, it costs energy, a commodity that many of us don't feel like we have a lot of. A lot of us are like, oh, man, I just want to be alone right now, just like the desert island thing. Um, we have other priorities. And one of the biggest costs that I have found in talking to many of you is awkwardness. You know, I've heard from a lot of you that, like, you know, I think about, like, hey, why don't, what would it look like for you to, like, reach out to someone and bring them in? Or what would it be like to get to know your roommate more? Or what would it be like to, you know, whatever, extend God's love? And what I hear a lot is, like, it would just feel so awkward. And, it, like, it's true, right? Awkwardness is very real, and it, like, hurts. Uh, we want to avoid it. Uh, so those are some of the costs. Like, it's good to love someone will cost, and we'll need to learn to even endure awkwardness. But I want us to think again to where Epaphroditus got this idea of, like, pursuing others. This idea of, like, all sacrifice in my pursuit of loving people and it's, you know, it's obvious he got it from Jesus. And Paul actually gives a nod to it here in verse 27 where he says he was near to death. Because earlier in this letter, Paul writes about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and says he was obedient to the point of death. And if you look at those words in Greek, it's the same exact phrase. To the point of death. He, Epaphroditus is following this pattern of the one who pursued him. And, you know, we don't know anything about him, really, Epaphroditus, but we do know one thing based on his name. He was, he, he was named by people that worshipped Aphrodite, the Greek goddess. Okay, so he grew up as an Aphrodite and other Greek god worshipper. Hey, there's no reason the God of the universe should look down on a guy in Greece worshiping a false God named Aphrodite and think, I want him. I'll die to make him mine. 
That's what our God is like. That's what he's like with us. Uh, He sees all the false things we live for. He sees how we actually spend our time. He hears all the things that we we think but don't say out loud. And he still wants us. There's no better news than that. Like, I need that news so badly. You know, there's a God who has relentlessly pursued me in love at an infinite cost to himself. I have eternal life with him now. I am so set. You don't get more set than that. That's how we get the power to go. That's how we get the power to step out of ourselves and pursue people. That's how we get the power to lose everything. That's how we get the power to endure awkwardness, uh, to care about other people instead of ourselves, to put others first, to tell them about the hope of the gospel. When I think about pursuing people and stepping out, I can't help but think of the 20th century missionary Jim Elliott. Do you guys know about Jim Elliott? A few of you, I think, do. I've mentioned him before in RUF. Uh, Jim Elliott was a Christian. He grew up, he was in the, like the 1950s. He was around your age uh, when he heard it from a missionary in Ecuador that there was this tribe who uh, was unreached. And uh, they didn't, no one knew their language. They didn't know anything about Jesus. And no one had ever like from outside of their tribe ever like contacted them. And so he was like, well, I'll learn to like invent a way to communicate with these people so that I can tell them about Jesus. And so he got this like group of guys together and they went on this mission to like make contact where they like flew a plane into the jungle and made contact with this group that they wanted desperately to show Jesus to. Uh, and they were all eventually killed by them. And you're, sometime later, they found his diary like things that he had written while he was doing this work of trying to figure out how can I bring this group of people in. And they found in his diary, in this one entry, he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'll say that again. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You know, you hear what that's saying? It's saying, if Jesus has pursued you, you cannot lose that. And so you can set aside everything else and go and pursue people. So let me close by just praying that God would make us people that pursue. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that you would change our hearts to be less wrapped up in ourselves, even though it's so hard. Uh, We live here in a place where it's so hard just to not... Uh, look out for ourselves and our own futures and uh, our own interests. So we pray that uh, Christ would break through, that the gospel would loosen uh, the chains that are on our heart, locking us up, uh, in prohibiting us from stepping out in love. Uh, show us Jesus more and more, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.